Welcome to the first ever episode of the Results Business Podcast, uh, brought to you on uh, Substack, uh, but available obviously obviously on Apple, Google, Spotify, and whatever your favorite um, podcast platform is. This is going to be a monthly podcast. Um, it's not just me, you'll be glad to hear, um, and people who don't know who I am, I'm Paul the Ask, but I assume that most people who are listening to this are listening to it because they, you already know me. Um, I'm joined by Roger Armstrong. Roger, hello. Paul, good afternoon. How are you? I, I'm, I'm very good. And I'm actually very excited about this new new podcast that we're doing. It's going to be a monthly podcast. We're going to focus on the stuff that uh, is off the pitch. Um, obviously, predominantly Everton, but not always Everton. I think I think there's going to be some interesting things that we can look at going forward. You know, the stuff that came out of the fan that review, for example, the independent uh, regulator of football, which we, will, I think, we'll touch upon in a in an Everton context very shortly. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think there's loads to talk about. And the one thing about Everton Football Club, certainly at this moment in time, is whilst we all love the football and you know we're happy that uh, happy is possibly too strong a word, but we're slightly more content than we were perhaps a couple of months ago. Um, for those people that like the off the field stuff. Uh, and increasing numbers, I think, of fans are, do take an interest in it. Um, Everton is the gift that keeps giving. Well, it absolutely is, isn't it? I mean, um, I can't remember a time where so much attention was paid to um, a set of reporting accounts from what is essentially a private company. Um, they were released, you know, at the last minute, at, you know, one minute to midnight. Um, and, and I thought it might be useful to take as a starting point because really we only care about the accounts. It's not our money. We really only care about the accounts for one principal reason, um, which is are we and will we continue to be within the Premier League's rules for profitability and sustainability? So what I thought would be a useful starting point before we look and pick out some of the numbers from the report accounts was to um, just review where we were before the 31st of March and, 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 and the, the results being released for 21-22. According to your calculations, Paul, I think we were at minus 164 million across what is effectively a four-year period, albeit two of those years are taken as one on average. So that would be 30 million um, and then an average of 44 million for the two COVID seasons. So 88 million losses across those two. So that's 44 plus 30. I hope you're with me at home. Calculators ready. And then um, 90 million for the last year that we'd reported on 2021. Um, these are your calculations, Paul, and they exclude any of these mythical uncrystallized losses, which we're going to talk about. So coming to the present day, 21-22's results were announced, and we therefore drop the 30 million from the, the, the back end of the three-year period, limit of 105, according to the Premier League, 105 million is the limit. So before the results were announced, we were at minus 134, according to your figures. Is that correct? Yeah, pretty, pretty much so. I mean, I, I think perhaps I should qualify, first of all, qualify my figures. Because they're obviously not the same figures that the, that the club are using. Because if the club were using the same figures that I'm using, they probably wouldn't be in a position to, to vehemently defend their own position. Because what I wanted to do with these figures 
was to see whether or not I thought we were close to being compliant, as I see it, or we were quite a distance away from it. And my view was that if we were close to being compliant, based on, on my analysis, that I probably would never even have even published this. And, I, you know, and I've had that conversation with the club because the club say that their position is entirely different from the position that I present. And of course, they have, well, one would hope that they have better quality information than I do. Um, and my point to the club was, well, exactly the point I'm just making now. If we were, if my figures had shown that we were in, within 10% or even 20% yes. of the 105 million figure, mm-hmm. I, I, w- I would never have written what I wrote. Yeah. But my figures don't suggest that. They still suggest uh, a margin perhaps of 60% over and above the yeah. permitted losses. And I accept entirely that it might be much closer to 105 million um, than, I, than I'm suggesting. But I don't mm. think it's going to be 60 million closer to 105 million. And, that, and, okay. and, I, and I think that's, that's, that's the point of this. The point of the exercise was to see, you know, literally how close could we get to being compliant based mm-hmm. on, on, on my figures or mm-hmm. not. And if, as mm-hmm. I say, if we had been close, then I don't think I would have ever written about it. But the fact okay. that we're so far apart asks the question, why is it that the club believes that they are um, compliant? Whereas the, the data that uh, is available in the public domain and the, uh, the calculations, which are, Again, if you if you look at the Premier League handbook, it's the, the the calculation is very clear. What what you can take out, what you what you can't take out, you certainly can't take out uncrystallized losses. Let, let, let's address that issue for a minute. Uncrystallized losses are the club saying, "Well, if it hadn't been for COVID, this is the position that we think we would have been in." So, if it hadn't been for COVID we might have been able to sell Balassi. We might have been able to sell uh, Gomez. Um, we would have got more money for the players that we did sell. So it's it's based on the belief that if COVID hadn't happened, our, uh, not not only the obvious things like we would have had more gate revenue because you know we went a period of time like every football club did without gate revenue, but that our trading position would have been significantly better than it than it was. Yeah. So yeah. we could have had more player trading profits. We wouldn't have had the the big write downs that we did have. Um, Everton had been very very aggressive in writing down uh, the value of its book. So what does that mean? It means that a player that on sort of if you just follow like the normal straight line of of a more amortization the player might have been worth, say, 25 million. doesn't matter who the player is. But Everson is taking the view that because of COVID, actually that player is only now worth 15 million. So they've like done what's called an impairment charge, and that adds 10 million to the losses. Mm-hmm. What it then does is provide a lower base from which you can amortise in future years. So you take a big loss now, but then it reduces your losses in subsequent years. Yeah. Um, and the reason why they took the big loss particularly in the COVID period, was that uh, the impairment charge could be 
used as part of the calculations um, for the profitability and sustainability calculation. Okay, before uh, it's really a it's a really important area on crystallized losses because it is the elephant in the room. It's the secret sauce. It's the bit that gets us under the bar when we may appear to the outside world to be over the bar. Um, and before we just go into that and what was agreed, what might have agreed and speculate, because that's all we can do. It's not really in the public domain, but we can make some intelligent guesses based on accurate numbers. So just to go back to my point, we were at yeah, minus sorry. 134 million before these results came out in 21-22. And the results that came out showed an additional loss of 44.7 million. Um, and in your calculations, by making some adjustments on depreciation, women's football, youth football and community costs and some more COVID impact, you got that down to 22 million, which would still, if you're following me, make us minus 156 against minus 105. So 50 million over without uncrystallized losses. That's where we think that's the ballpark we think we're in which, as you say, is 50% over the 105 million limit. Yeah? It is. But I'm, I'm going to stress again for the benefit of the football club, because at the end of the day, we are football. You know, we are supporters of Everton Football Club, um, that they believe that these figures are not accurate and that the, um, their figures are below 105 million. And, of you know, course they believe that. I mean, that, it is I clear hope that, that is they the, believe that. I hope that is the case. I hope... You know, I will be the first person to put my hand up and say, I, I got it entirely wrong. Um, and, you know, the club have done a fantastic job of managing a really difficult si situation, a situation driven by their own actions. You know, nobody, this is not anybody else's fault other than uh, the people who run the club. But nevertheless, they say we've run the club in such a manner in, in, in recent times that have permitted us to be um, compliant. Yeah. I, I, and it's obvious that they think they're compliant. But, I mean, this is not simply a mathematical question that we're saying it's 150 and the limit's 105, so there's no case to answer. They clearly have a case that they will be putting forward. And as they've said, they will be robustly defending themselves. And that case, what we're trying to explain to the listeners, that case is going to centre almost exclusively on an uncrystallised loss argument. They're going to argue about loss of player trading profits that they could have made and they're going to maybe take some additional downgrading on the on the value of the assets that they had which wasn't our fault honest gov that, yeah. that, that's what it boils down to isn't it Paul? It, it is so what they say is um because we couldn't sell a certain player you know we obviously lost the value of that player in terms of being able to sell them to somebody else but more than that not only did we lose the the value of selling them to somebody else we've had to continue with the amortization costs and we've had to continue yeah. paying them wages. So yeah. in a sense, like the club will say there's a double whammy to this. Um, yeah. The counter argument... But why would that apply to Everton, right? If I'm, I'm, I'm now imagining I'm on this panel, this independent commission, and remind me three people on this, one person from the judiciary, one person from sport or football specifically, and one other independent party. Is that going to be the makeup? Uh, I, certainly, there's one from the, from the judiciary. Who who the other two are? Um, I don't know. It, it would obviously make sense if somebody had a sporting background, so right. or a sports okay. management background. But yes, sure. the, 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 you know, every other club was in exactly the same position. Exactly. 
exactly. And yeah. I saw Fulham, yet Fulham yesterday or this morning, Fulham have posted huge losses, you know, that they would be over in, in the space of one year, what you're allowed in three years. So, you know, it's not just Everton who've been affected by this. And obviously, if you make an allowance for one, then, you know, everybody has to be able to make the same adjustments on potential losses in the transfer market. Well, I think ultimately what the question that needs to be asked of the Premier League, not the question that needs to be asked of the club, but the question that needs to be asked of the Premier League is, have they treated Everton as a special case? So have they looked at Everton, say, a year ago or in March 2022 and said, we recognise that you are not currently not compliant, but we understand what you're going to do about it and therefore we're going to turn a blind yeah. eye um, yeah. and allow you to uh, get back on side. So, so this is a year ago. What you're saying is a year ago when we thought, or your figures said we were 164 minus 164 million, the Premier League have accepted perhaps some arguments of uncrystallised losses to get us kind of close or under and have said, right, what you need to do is sell players to a value of X or make a profit of X in player trading. And we're going to, you know, you've got to run every signing by us because we were in what's called special measures, weren't we? Was that official? Was that public? Or or, or was that, you know, is that just hearsay? No, it, it, was ne- it was never public. And, and, you know, the club have not really ever said that neither. Um, but it certainly was the case. I've heard you say that we've had to submit accounts, management accounts, every month to the Premier League. Is, uh, is that? It might not be every month, but it's certainly, you know, on a on a regular basis, and right. and, and that's part of the rules. I mean, if you you don't have to get anywhere near 105 million of losses over three years to be in that position. If your losses are greater than 15 million, right, um, over a three year period, then the Premier League can ask for, you know, evidence of funding. So. Um, they call it secured funding, so they, they will have asked Everton for that. So Fard Mashiri yeah. has to say, well, we, we've got a 50 million increase from rights and media funding, and I'm putting in another 230 million. Um, Bill's putting in 50p, and there's our secure funding. So they would ask anybody that was over 15 million about secure yeah. funding. They would ask yeah. about, um, well, can we have a look at your books on a regular basis? Because They'd want to know that whatever the club had said about whatever they were going to do w- was being done, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. It, that's not—it's not uncommon in, in football. You know, in in Holland, for example, they have real-time reporting. So, whatever the finance director has on his Excel spreadsheet, the uh, football authorities in Holland can see exactly the same screen as he's seeing on, on a day-by-day basis. Yeah. If you look in Spain, it doesn't work perfectly in Spain, and you'll know this better than, than I do. But no, there's Sp- one rule for Real Madrid. <laughs> there's one rule for I knew, I knew, I knew you were going to mention Allegedly. Real Madrid. Allegedly. Yeah. Um, you know, every single transfer in Spain has to be approved by the Spanish football authorities. And it's done on the basis of are they compliant with whatever the Spanish football regulations are, financial regulations are. And if you're not compliant, as, as you know, Barcelona have seen on a number of occasions and other clubs, and then transfers just don't happen. Yeah. So yeah. In a sense, in a sense, it's, it's a bit of a um, taking a bit from what they do in Spain, taking a bit from what they do in Holland, and that sort of monitoring process happens. How f- I think it's formal in the sense that obviously it's, it's taken seriously, but 
whether there's a complete structure to it and every club follows the same um, mm-hmm. process, nobody knows because you know that's not it's not in the public domain. Um, I, I think it's worth before we it, when, this is going to be a thread running through this the profitability yeah. and sustainability and the commission and any potential sanctions and obviously the charges are just the charges they're nothing more innocent until proven guilty and all of that. But uh, without spending too long on the profit and loss account, there are just some numbers that really caught my eye when we looked at it that are worthy just pointing out to our listeners. And as you said, the club can't go, oh, dear, woe is me, there was COVID and there were sanctions of Russia. There are some real issues here that are down to the management and what you might call quite imprudent financial management on, by, by the club. Um, uh, just remind basic figures that there was an operating loss made of £24 million. Now, that was because we, in through the gates, we got 181. That's not just gate receipts. That's turnover. That's revenue, broadcast revenue, commercial revenue. 181 million we got. And our staff costs were 162 million. Now, immediately, immediately, that makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up because that's a huge amount. Um, absolutely extraordinary. Um, amount of money and percentage of the turnover and perhaps we'll touch on what other rules might be uh, incoming or might be fair later in the discussion Paul but two other things jumped out at me payoffs we paid out ten and a half million pounds to get rid of Benitez and his team and additionally we paid nine million pounds in interest now paying nine million pounds in interest when you've got a uh, owner who is super wealthy and has already pumped money into the club and we're having to go to rights and media funding to borrow over a hundred million. You know, that's that's taken the operating loss from 24 million up to the 44 million that's reported. Those two things, 10 million in payoffs to Benitez and nearly 10 million pounds in interest. What, do, do you have any, uh, any, any comments on that that you, you, you'd want to make? I mean, clearly the the payoffs to, as they call it, you know, the, the leaving members of staff um, are a result of, you know, an appointment that should never have been made in the first place. And, 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 and you take, you take that hit straight away. I mean, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. It's just, 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 just what it is. The interest costs, I think are an interesting interest, interest costs. I think you have to look at who the lender is. Yeah. So, well, actually, first of all, um, the fact that Mashiri is no longer prepared to provide all the funding. Absolutely. That's the point I'm getting at. That the club needs. So we end up going to, you know, we used to have ICBC, which is one of the world's biggest commercial banks, if not the biggest commercial bank in the world. Unfortunately, they left the UK market and and that was of no fault of evidence. But we did make a, a, a slightly strange decision to go back to rights and media funding, who we've used uh, for a number of years uh, pre Um And I think we went back there on the basis of uh, it was convenient. They knew us. The, um, the degree of due diligence and the degree of reporting uh, that we would have to do to them would be less than, say, if we went to Santander or Royal Bank of Scotland or somebody of that nature. But the price you pay is a much higher margin above the, prob- above the, the, the cost the, of funds. Exactly. The problem is, is that, you know, uh, both somebody like Rights and Media Funding, and Rights and Media Funding has a UK company, but then behind that has an offshore company, and the offshore company borrows money from another offshore company. And it's believed that Rights and Media Funding 
are owned by a very wealthy individual, one single very wealthy individual. And they've got a portfolio, a lending portfolio of about 350 million, um, of which now slightly less than 150 million sits with Everton. Um, they charge higher rates than uh, commercial banks do uh, for, for obvious reasons, because it's easier to borrow from them, but therefore you don't have the, the, the same degree of due diligence. Therefore you can, you can charge a premium on the interest rates in order to, and I, I think if you look at um, who are the competitors to rights and media funding, so who could we have gone to? Um, yeah. Macquarie Bank, which is an Australian bank. Yes. Uh, we could have gone to MSD. MSD is a... Um, Michael Dell. Company owned by Michael Dell. What does Michael yeah. Dell charge? He's charging, or his company is charging uh, somewhere between 10 and 12%. Now, I suspect we, we get a small favour because we're a regular client and we're a good client. Um, and we probably up to recent times have represented a good risk. So I would think that at the moment, we're probably paying around about 10%. Mm, mm. Um, it's it's difficult to calculate from, from the accounts because you don't actually know at what point no. the debt came in and you know no. what was the opening balance of the debt, what was the closing balance of the debt, um, at what point did we go from 100 million to 135 million. So trying to calculate what the average rate of interest is is, is impossible well, mm. unless you had much more detailed uh, no i appreciate of, that of, but it's a significant it, it is significant a significant cost. cost it's going to be you know it's going to go up to 50 interest costs will probably based on my assumptions will go up to 15 million pound um, for this for this year that we're in now for the year that we're in now yeah 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 um so you know and, it's not ins insubstantial no, it's 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 not. And, and and the final point that you jump that jumps out of you from the, the PL, and this is I think um what perhaps irks the most um when the commentary is spun in a positive way and it's a reduction, we've made less of a loss. The reason we've actually made less of a loss, boys and girls, is that we made um fifty-four million more in player trading than we did the previous year. And we did that by selling the crown jewels. Um so you know, for a business that needs talent, that needs players, defenders, attackers, goal scorers, goalkeepers, um, to, to even suggest that the improvement in our loss position is because of player trade. That wasn't player trading. That wasn't smart player trading, was it? That wasn't, that wasn't buying Cucurella and selling him for 65 million like Brighton did. You know, this was selling our main asset, uh, Brazil's number nine, surely. You know, that's not something to celebrate and it leaves us weaker. And that's kind of a problem that we face on the pitch. We're not talking about on the pitch, but I wanted to make that point that when you make an additional 53 million of uh, 54 million, almost of player trading profits, um, that's the reason really that the PL is less of a loss than it was the previous year. And it's duplicitous to suggest otherwise. Uh, absolutely. And you know, the, um, the requirement to sell Richardson before the we don't know if that was part of the deal, do we? I mean, this to come back to the discussion we started with, that the Premier League kind of waved us through last year because, oh, yes, we'll accept this, we'll accept that, but don't forget you need to sell, you know, whether it's Anthony Gordon, Jordan Pickford, Rich Arlison, you know, D DCL, yeah, whoever yeah. it is. Yeah, DCL. Um, but you need to sell. You know, we don't know that that was part of the deal. And actually, Rich Arlison was the only saleable asset at the time, wasn't he? Or the one with the highest market value. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was part of the deal, although obviously 
because it's you know it's a private agreement between two private companies um you're never going to get sight of that in in, no. in the public domain but you know I, I know i know enough people in the in the, in the game that say yeah you know it was clear that to get anywhere near to a respectable not that i think a 44 million loss is, is is respectful but to get anywhere near a respectful figure you were going to have to rely upon player trading you know yeah. selling assets in order to cover losses in order to generate cash and in order to save cash and that's not how success it's how businesses behave when they're in really difficult positions they sell assets in order to cover oper operating losses now yeah everton's situation is complicated obviously by um the stadium and i have I have some sympathy with Everton's position. Yeah, you know, I think we're I think we're appallingly run, and we've been appallingly run for a number of years. But we're trying to get you know the old expression about getting a quart out of a pint pot. A quart is two. Do you explain pints. what a quart is for some of our listeners who might not know? <laughs> well, they might even not even well. Yeah, they'll know what a pint is. Um, a, a quart is two pints. Yeah, and a gallon is eight pints. Yeah, and that and that's my limit. Okay, so the idea is that you know how how do you get two pints out of out of a pint pot, and that's what we're trying to do here. We're we're running a business that is losing money because our costs are too high and our income is too low, and we're running a business that's also trying to build a stadium at the same time. Well, is building a stadium, and the stadium is there for anybody that visits Liverpool to see. Um, but that makes it right really really difficult financially. When you say financially, Paul, do you mean specifically because there isn't financing in place for that stadium and therefore all available cash, even the Anthony Gordon sale proceeds that from the recent window had to go towards the stadium? Because I think what you're getting at is profit and loss account balance sheet. That's all lovely. That's for accountants. But what you're getting at is a business needs cash. A business needs money in order to pay its um, liabilities as they fall due. Um, that's the going concern question, right? And what you're yeah. saying is Everton haven't got enough cash in the bank, um, you know. And and the one thing I did pick out from Fulham's statement about their ridiculously large losses was they've got thirty million quid in the bank or a substantial amount of cash in the bank. Which, God, I wish we had. Well, uh, we've, got, we've, got, when... we've got oh, we had thirty million in, in the bank on the third on the thirtieth of June last year. Anybody that's looking at at, at a business, so anybody that's looking at a business to buy or you know looking to buy stake in a business uh, or looking to see you know how how the management team performing a lot of focus obviously on the profit and loss account and that's what grabs the headlines but actually at the end of the day the first thing that you should always look at when you're trying to analyze um how is a business doing is yeah. look at its is cash flow cash flow statement. cash flow statement yeah yeah so a business can can um i'm sorry if i'm teaching grandmother how to suck eggs anybody that's listening to this a business can only really generate cash from three sources uh, from what it does in business so operating so operating cash flow does it earn more than it spends in cash terms so is it adding more cash to the bank balance or or is it drawing money out of the bank balance um and clearly in evidence case we are spending more cash than we earn yeah to the tune of about 25 million quid on uh, an annual basis yeah yeah well just at the operating loss level you, you, i mean you you can 
Well, there's that, but then you can also, if you change the balance between creditors and debtors, i.e. if you change the balance between the people that you owe and the people that owe you, you can mess around with your, your cash flow. So from an operating perspective, we spent 34 million pound more than we um, earned last year. Yeah. yeah. The second thing that you can look at then is, um, okay, so how did we do from an investing point of view? So, so just it, let me stop you for a second. Yeah. Why didn't we just put up season ticket prices then? Well, if we, even if we put season ticket prices up by 20%, and I'm not suggesting that we should, that would, mm -hmm. only, that would only generate another three million pound in cash. Right. Okay, so but if we'd finished seventh as opposed to wherever we finished sixteenth, was it? Um, well, the, the difference between finishing tenth and sixteenth was uh, yeah. fifteen million pound. Significant. So, you know, finishing eighth would have been an awful lot better than finishing sixteenth for for, for 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 very obvious reasons. Would have almost uh, made us cash positive. Almost. Almost. Yeah. So, so you've got the op you've got the operating side of the business. So, you know, pretty self-explanatory what it, that that is. Yeah, yeah. And then, in terms of um, a football club, but that does include commercial revenue, sponsorship, shirt deals, etc. Yeah. That's included in that number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So then you've also got um, what, in accounting terms, is is uh, called uh, investing activity. So, what's an investing activity for a, a football club? Well. You've got your fixed assets, which is normally your stadium and anything else that you might own um, in terms of, you know, uh, buildings, property, etc., land, etc. And then you've got these things that are called intangible assets, which are uh, the registration of uh, football players. So when somebody gets transferred, it's not actually the individual that's getting transferred. It's the registration document that says this player can play for this club. And mm -hmm. that trading, player trading, in simple yep. terms, is part of our in, part of our sort of investing activities. So again, you know, yes, we make a profit in terms of player trading, but did we pull in as much cash as we spent? And why that might be different is you might have different terms on. Um, you might buy one player and pay for him over five years. You might yeah. sell another player and receive the cash up front. Yeah, that has a huge impact on on your cash flow, obviously. So, Ever from Everton's perspective, they will be trying to pay for a player over the longest possible period. You know, like 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 you do with a credit card, you just pay the minimum amount. Uh, yeah. if you, you know, if if, you, if you're short of cash, but the money that's coming in, you want as much of that money as possible. So, you if if Richarlison sold for fifty million, you want that money. On the nose, you want it now and then because it, that's going to help your cash flow position. Now we didn't, we didn't get that. You know, we only got just slightly more than twenty-five million pound in from the players that we sold in in, in that period. So in cash, you mean in in, in, in cash? In yeah. So cash. yeah, yeah. Um, I can't, I can't absolutely recall, but there was a suggestion that we got all of the money up front for Richarlison. If we did, that money didn't land this. In, in that year, it landed in this year, even though the sale took place in the last year, if you understand what I'm saying. So yeah. you've got operating, you've got investment activity. And then the other thing that you have is um, financing. 
Yes, debt you know, or or new new equity. And, and and that exactly that means have we borrowed it? Have, have we borrowed more, or have we uh, got the shareholders to put more money in? Now, Fired Machinery put two hundred and thirty million pound into Everton last in in, in that period uh, twenty twenty one twenty two. Uh, how is it possible that we ended up with less cash uh, than we started with if we sold Richarlison, Dina, um, we got a very good fee for Rodriguez. Um, how can we possibly end up with less cash than, than we started with? Well, we're building a stadium. Yeah. So we spent, you know, what was the figure? We spent two hundred, nearly £211 million in cash terms uh, on the stadium in that year. So this is what I mean about the club is, try, is to tr trying to draw out far more cash than it can possibly generate and therefore yeah. can only either sell players if players uh, are valuable enough to sell, can only uh, borrow money or can only get money from um, the shareholder. And it, it becomes a virtuous. It becomes the opposite of a virtuous circle because the poorer the position of the company, of the business, the less likely it is to be able to raise additional, let's call it, tier one funding for the stadium, when the company as a whole is loss making and is not uh, positive from a cash flow perspective. Why would people lend money against that? Yes. So. The more poorly the business, it's like anything in life. You know, it, it's, I understand the reason why, but it's slightly absurd that the poorest people in society have to pay the most on, on, on their debt. Yeah. Uh, and that's obviously because, you know, they're, they're more, probably more likely not, not to pay it. But it's the same, it's the same with a business. You know, a, a, a well-performing business um, generally pays less interest than a poorly performing business. Yeah. And investors are going to investors or lenders have looked at Everton and said, um, "Well, your track record is not not great in terms of your you know your ability to generate profits from from what you do as a business." The the people that look at you know take the stadium funding for example, what are they looking at? Well, uh, is the you know first of all can the stadium be built for the price that you're saying it's going to be built at? And that might be a different price from what's put out in the public domain. And the answer to that is probably yes, because you know the, the lender is going to go and talk to Langer Rourke anyway and say, okay, so how much is everything committed to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they're also going to look at the underlying business. You know, is the underlying business uh, profitable? Is it cash flow positive? Uh, is it? Does it have a management team? And this is, the, I think, the key point. Does it have a management team in which we can trust? Because the, the, you know, the quality of the business results rely upon um, the quality of the management team. And, the, yeah. and, I, and I think this is where Everton have had real difficulties in, in recent years. And again, it's one of the big mysteries. And it will remain a mystery until it fired Machiri himself explains the reason why. Why he hasn't strengthened the board, why he hasn't strengthened the management team. When it's very clear to almost everybody that his failure to do so is costing the club huge amounts of money, not only in, in operating terms, but also yeah. in terms of its ability to raise finance for the stadium. And therefore, it's, it's costing him. The question I ask myself um, occasionally, because I'm sad like that, I try and imagine what board meetings must be like 
because you know I've been in board meetings, you've been in board meetings, and they're often quite nervous, tense affairs because you are reporting, and, and I've never been fortunate enough to be the owner, but I've you know I've been on the board, I've been director, largely responsible for sales, revenue generation, bit of marketing, etc. And I'm presenting my numbers, I'm presenting my performance. I'm going to have to answer questions. I'm going to be, have to be prepared for you know, interrogation and the performance will be looked at, particularly at the end of an annual period. You might get away with it, you know, a couple of bad months or a bad quarter or whatever. But I wonder what on earth happens at Everton board meetings? Who asks the questions? Um, because actually we've had more clarity than ever in this report and accounts, Paul, in terms of directors' remuneration, because if I'm right, the whole Marcel Brands payoff was in the previous year. Is that correct? No, I'm not sure it was actually, Roger, to be honest. Okay, so this so this eight sixty eight, you know, in terms of directors' remuneration, you know, we're seeing that they're earning certainly upwards of half a million pounds each, which isn't unreasonable for directors of a business of that size. In fact, maybe they should be paid more. But in terms of what they're delivering and how they're performing, what on earth do you think goes on at board meetings? Do you think Mashiri actually attends them? Well, no, I don't think he does. Uh, and, so, yeah. so who's, I mean, what's the point? Do they even exist? Do they happen? What happens at them? Because and, and, Bill, by his own admission, does, oh, well, I'm not a finance man. <laughs> Excellent. So what happens? I mean, what is talked about? Well, it, it's more akin to a, um, it, it's a management meeting. It's not, it's not really a board meeting because. But even if it's a management meeting, what, what, I mean, what is being talked about? I mean, are they seriously talking about cash flow? Are they, what are they talking about? Are they talking about new sponsorship deals? What I mean, obviously, you're going to have a series of project meetings on the stadium. And fair play, you know, the stadium is coming along at a rate of knots and it's looking fantastic and, and it's going to be great. And it's going to be a new source of revenue, all of those good things that come with it. But, you know, when you've got a company that one person owns 90, what, 94 percent of? Yeah. You know, we could talk all day about shareholder meetings and AGMs and the Everton Shareholders Association, bless them, trying to do their best. They don't matter a jot. This guy, who's not really interested, owns 94%. So board meetings, and you've talked about governance, you've talked about the need for independent executive representation, which most sensible people would think is a good idea. But if the main share, the main shareholder can do what the hell he likes. So, you know, what, what operational disciplines are there in this business, whether you call them management meetings or board meetings, who the hell is setting targets for Denise? Who's setting targets for Ingalls? Who's setting targets for Treadwell? Uh, you know, Treadwell's not even on the board. And so I just don't know what on earth they ever discuss at board meetings other than pat themselves on the back for something or other, you know, staying alive. Uh, I just, what, what actually can they, I mean, surely any business involves regular reporting and regular monitoring and performance against stated goals and objectives, perfectly common. Lots of our listeners will 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 be aware of that. Whether you know whatever you, the salary you're earning, you're going to be subject to review, right? But these lot have performed like a just a bunch of incompetence. The numbers are self-evident. But who is ruling the who is who is running the rule over them in any kind of formal basis? No one. That is the big issue. That there's no oversight here. There's no oversight. There's no accountability. Um, why that's the case with regards to Mishiri, as you say, 94% shareholder, um, who, who only knows? I mean, you know, there, there is no logical explanation. You know, I hear, I, I hear the explanations that, well, it's not his money anyway, because it's all Usmanov's. 
Um, mm. I still don't subscribe to that because I think that has to be, in order to say that, it has to be proven. Mm. Um, I've got a light subscription on that now, by the way. I did have the free trial. I've gone to a, I've gone to a light subscription. I mean, it's the only way that a sane, rational human being can can explain away why a man is prepared to throw eight hundred million pounds into the into the River Mersey. You know. Well, it's, I, I that's an interesting surely one. Surely he cares. Sure, what is his game? What is his end game? Is he just an asset flipper? Is he just going to flog once the stadium's built? And he's still going to lose thick end of a quarter of a million, a quarter of a billion minimum, isn't he? Well, I think he thinks not, and, and, and I think you know if you look at if you look at the stadium, and you, you know if you look at all the discussions around investors coming in, um, he values the equity in the company at around about four hundred million pound. Why does he do that? Because that's approximately what he's put, what he's spent on the stadium, excuse mm. me, um, mm. to date, and mm. he might present the view that. Somebody buys this football club and they buy a half-built stadium. Okay, still needs three hundred million, perhaps spent on it. Um, but if you wanted to get to where the stadium is today, so let's imagine that Bramley Moor is still a, a water-filled dock with a couple of tugs in it and a, and a shed on one side. What would they have to spend in order to get it to where it is now? You know, which is a sort of half-built. Um, stadium and i don't mean that disparagingly it's just you know that's where it is he says that well it might cost you many hundreds millions more than the 400 million i've spent so far uh, in order to to get to that stage and in fact to complete the building of the stadium might cost you a billion pound in today's terms so anybody buying into the club is buy is buying that value so therefore that value has to be represented in the price that I'm selling the club for. Now, most, most investors just ignore that and say, well, no, I'm sorry. Um, you know, the enterprise value of the business is this, the amount of debt that the business has that has is this, therefore the equity is worth a hundred million or 150 million name your figure, but it is of that magnitude. Yeah, exactly. There's a formal valuation procedure that yeah, you go through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's why, and that's why, you know, he did try to sell the club last year. That's why the club hasn't been sold because mm -hmm. he won't accept. He, you talked earlier, or we, we talked earlier about crystallized losses and uncrystallized losses. He doesn't yeah. want to crystallize his loss. Yeah, he sells yeah. the club today, having yeah. put seven hundred and fifty million in. You know, yeah. even if he got four hundred million for it, which I don't think he can. You know, that's a three hundred and fifty million pound loss. Now, he believes that if he he's can... making his case on the basis of uncrystallized profits, isn't he? You know, that's <laughs> yeah. what he's that's what he's asking people to 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 pay for to get access to the future cash flows from the from the stadium and the profits that that will generate. Which is all very well and good, but you need a successful football team, one competing at the highest level, to do that. But yeah, the the issue he has, of course, is that if he doesn't sell the, the club in in total. Or if he doesn't sell part of the club, or if he doesn't find investors to lend money to the club, then he has to find the money himself. Because failure to do so, you know, puts the club toward pushes the club towards administration. And I, yeah. I, I don't I don't say that lightly, 
And I would say that at the end of the day, I don't think the club would ever go into administration, even even if we were to get relegated. Um, and look, the consequences of getting relegated, people have said, well, you know, you hit the reset button. You don't. If we were to, to be relegated at the end of the season, our turnover would drop from 181 million to less than 100 million next year. And in order to accommodate that, there would have to be a complete fire sale of players. So um, what you might think is the core of the team would have to be sold. You know, yeah. and, and, and we can go through we could go through the team and name, but they're not going to be sold at, at the same value as they would do if Everton was a Premier League club. They're going to be sold at a discount because everybody recognises that there's a fire sale. Yeah, I we're, think, we're, we're I think losing. It would be, I think it would be a good idea because we're going to do these podcasts monthly, and goodness yeah. knows where we'll be in a month's time. But hopefully, we'll have some clarity. <laughs> As to, and it won't please say it's not going to go down to Bournemouth on the last day of the season. I really couldn't bear that. Um, but I think we could do more of a deep dive into, you know, what next season's going to look like for the club from a financial perspective in either the Premier League or, God forbid, the Championship. Why don't we? Why don't we do that in episode two? You know, sure. in, in, in the next monthly one. What I wanted to just maybe I think would be of interest because there's so much talk about rules and regulations, right? Do you think that the PSR rules? Um, or the province sustainability rules are, are, are fair. Do you, do you think that those are that's the right way? And do you think they'll stay as they are, or do you think we'll move to more of a wages to turnover to, or you know wage cap type American type model? What do you think is the fairest way to do to do that with you know a league such as the Premier League? I, th- I think when the, I think when the rules first came in. Uh, they were both fair and beneficial. And I know almost nobody agrees with me on this, and I'm happy you know, to poke, 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 poke my head up above the parapet on this. Um, had there been no limit on what uh, teams could lose, then the teams that are owned either by um, you know, state investors or are owned by the Abramoviches of this world um, would have spent even more money than they did spend anyway because... You know, there, there would have been no limit to the amount of money that they could spend. So, yeah, uh, the diff, the gap between the haves and the have-nots um, would have just got even bigger than it was. So, it, it whilst it whilst it makes uh, it much very very difficult to come from a you know somewhere in the pack to, to get into the front of of the race, whilst it makes it very difficult for an Everton, for example. Um, to start competing with those in front of them, it would have been. I think it would have been much more difficult had those rules not been in place. Now, having said that, I think I think the rules have now got to a point where, um, you know, they've served their purpose or they've served their time. Not, not purpose. They've served their time, and I think I think and COVID's not helped, has it? Really, because you know there isn't the transparency there. You can really look at the numbers because even you know. Everton produced a number. The number that's reported in the press is slightly different. Your estimations are slightly different. So there's no real transparency for fans and indeed other clubs to 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 clearly look and go, well, you bust the salary cap or, you know, your turnover is this, your wage bill is that, therefore you're outside the rules. Yeah. So, I mean, UEFA, for example, want to go to a, like a, what's called a soft salary cap. Yeah. Which is you, you can't spend more than seventy percent of your of, of your revenues. Yeah. 
So, yeah. um, but then that just bakes everything in. So if your revenues are 600 million, that means you can spend 420 million on salaries. If your revenues are 200 million, um, you can spend 140 million. So the competitive advantage is baked in. Is that fair? You see, I, I, I'm a bit of a rebel with that because at the end of the day, just look at what Chelsea have done under Potter for, you know, in that last window, not necessarily yeah. Potter's signings, but look at me, goodness, God almighty, Mudrick, Cucurella, I mean, Enzo Fernandez, 105 million. There have been some horrific purchases by big clubs throwing money around. And, you know, there are teams that competed and, and do compete now, whether it's Brighton or Brentford. I mean, Brighton, Brighton's player trading profit next year is going to be absolutely huge before they even get the 20 million payoff that they got for letting, you know, Potter go to Chelsea. And, and you know, at the end of the day, there's only four places in the Champions League. There's only one league title. And, and it's all about how smart you are and how well you buy. Some of the best signings that winners have made have been the cheapest, you know. Yep. Jamie Vardy cost nothing, didn't he? Riyad Mahrez didn't cut. I, I, I can't think of many examples of people signing a superstar for a world record fee and going on to win, you know? Those world record fees, Bale, and, okay, Bale won quite a bit at, at Real Madrid, but, you know, Haaland was a snip at 50 million. Um, and, and so you limit it and the small clubs go, oh, it's not fair, but if the money trickles down the system. Of course, all the bloody agents get in the way, but they're almost the rules for the sake of having rules and smart people find a way around the rules, don't they? It's a bit like tax avoidance versus tax evasion. That's my take on it. It's a bit cynical, I suppose. Yeah. I, I've got a slightly sim, um, simpler idea that you actually do away with transfer fees. Yeah, I've heard you talk about this. Yeah. So how would it work then? Well, at the, at, the, at the end of the day, it would, it, it would make the players even wealthier than they are. That's a, so a bit like in American sports, you know, yeah. you sign a, a five-year deal and that's it. You're yeah. there for five years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you, and I, 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 we can talk about this. I mean, this this would be great in you know a couple of episodes time. You yeah. you have you have a system where actually, um, over I think you go to a period you, you go to a point where over a three-year period, you can't make any losses at all. Right. Okay. As a rule, you can't make any losses, full stop. Yeah. yeah. So you, you, you live within your means. Um, you uh, take away the impact of, of, of the transfer market. And, and you, you're essentially saying you, um, you can spend your revenue, but you can't spend more than that. But that would just bake in the advantages of United and, you know, People with sixty, seventy, eighty thousand pound stadium. Well, it, stadium, yes, it? yes, it would, but it would, it would take away the advantage of you know um, the state investors or the massive hedge funds or the oligarchs. Because I see funding player acquisition. There would yeah. be no point in in pumping money into the club mm. because you can only spend what you earn. And if, if there are no transfer values, no, no, no transfer fees, then you know pumping in. 750 million to spend on players or whatever Chelsea pumped in it wasn't that figure but whatever the figure was it, it goes out of the equation and of course that's never going to happen because actually what everybody in football wants is a continuation of the inflationary environment in, in which we're in because the greater uh, the amount of money that's pumped around football the 
greater than the amount of money that individuals earn. Of course. So it's never going to happen. But No, no. I mean, I suppose that what would happen if you did get that through is that they'd just, you know, spend 500 million sponsoring the stadium, you know, um, and, and, and try and get away with that as uh, market you, value. You, you could um, always put in a fair, a fair, um, a fair market fair value. Market value. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I, I wonder, um, before, before we close, we've talked yeah. about the account and we've talked about this commission and, and you and I have a slightly different view on the timings. I think this commission is going to get done by the end of the season, whether or not there's an appeal thereafter. And, and, and that is because I think there's going to be enormous pressure put on the Premier League because there are so many clubs involved in this relegation battle. It's not just Leeds and Burnley. And interestingly, you know, I heard them say one of the interesting points that they make them occasionally on Sky was obviously Dyche was on the other side of the argument last year at Burnley, mm. although he might have already gone. He might have already left. I think he'd already gone because he left yeah, eight, eight yeah. games to, to play, didn't yeah. he? True. But, you know, your Leicesters, your West Ham's, your Nottingham Forest, your Leeds United's are going to be, uh, Bournemouth, Southampton, uh, are going to be putting pressure on the Premier League for this to be expedited because, you know, we've seen today a point deduction for Reading. I know that's in the EFL and the six point deduction has taken them to just above the relegation zone. I think it'll get expedited quite quickly. And I think they will endeavour to get it finished by the end of the season. And I suspect they will come out with a transfer ban and we won't get a points deduction. And they'll say, that's it, that's done. Um, I'm guessing, I'm speculating, it's just my opinion. You hmm. think it'll get dragged out longer. Why is that? Other than diaries and finding people and agreeing the time. It's a, <laughs> should be a relatively simple thing, shouldn't it? We've seen your accounts. We reckon that you've made a loss of 100 and whatever it is million. You're over by 50. What are the, what are the compensatory or the, or the mitigating factors? Everton. Well, it should it, it, it shouldn't take the Premier League very long to uh, put their case together. One would think that they've put their case together before they've already got it together and, yeah, and assemble it, a panel, right? Exactly before the referral to to the independent commission. Um, how long it takes the independent commission, given that they're not you know full time football people or full time football finance people, uh, to get up to speed with the case? Who knows? It depends how complex the case is. And Everton, of course, will, you know, take as long as they possibly can um, to pull their evidence together to present their case. So can this be done in two months? If it was just one hearing, then yes, it probably can be done. But surely if... I don't know what would happen if the Premier League lost the case. Perhaps it would just disappear. But they may want to appeal if if they lost the case, if they think their case is strong enough. But certainly Everton would would appeal immediately. So if Everton lose, you know, for argument's sake, Everton lose the case, and there's a sporting sanction, i.e., we lose, you know, we deducted six points for our, you know, for, for yes. an example, we're going to appeal straight away. Yeah. But you see, I don't think they'll do that. I think they'll get through a process. There'll be a little bit of a nod and a wink. We'll go through a process. They'll come out very naughty, wrist slapped. But, you know, we couldn't sell because bloody COVID impaired the values and we couldn't sell as many. We tried really hard. Look, we've sold Anthony Gordon this year. We're going to make a profit this year. OK, give us a 12 month transfer ban. And that's fine. And that's what the independent commission. And then and then the Premier and Everton go, OK, then fine. Premier League go, okay, fine, look at us. We've followed an independent process. 
I mean, you're not telling me that Nottingham Forest can then appeal against that commission because they think Everton should have 10 points taken off them. Surely not. No, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying and that. And the sooner everything gets wrapped up, because if Everton were to survive, let's hope we do, you know, we're, we're going in the right direction, picking up points hither and thither and proving to be really hard to beat, and that's very encouraging. Um, but if Everton do survive, and then the panel goes, well, that's a six-point deduction for next season. If I was within six points of Everton and got relegated, I'd be suing the ass off the Premier League, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that's So there's no incentive to delay it. Well... There, there is an incentive to to delay it in the sense that for Everton, yes, but for Everton, but Premier also League. for the for also for the Premier League because the Premier League may take the view that actually we we, we don't really want to um, give Everton a sporting sanction, but we know if we don't, and it's still within or still before the end of the season, somebody's going to sue us for not doing so. So the, the fudge might be. That the Premier League are happy for it to drift into the summer and then apply something which is less than a sporting sanction. It's interesting. Uh, you know, we've always said off the pitch and on the pitch, you know, you can't have one without the other. And, and, and the better we do on the pitch, the less we'll care about, the less we'll care about... Um, the sanction or potential sanctions or potentially being found in breach of the potentially alleged charges. Um, the other thing, that, Roger, sorry, yeah. is, and I know we're going to wind up now, but the other thing is, of course, the, the political situation. And I, yes, I guess with the fan-led review, yeah. yeah. Well, with the independent regulator. And I, I don't yes. think it can be overstated how much the Premier League want to demonstrate to the government that actually mm. it has an independent process yeah, place. they can keep their own house in order. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, they're monitoring everything, and they've and and they've found, you know, Manchester City allegedly are in breach of regulations, and and there's a case going on there. Okay, it's going to take four years, but there's a case going on there. And in, in more short term, we found Everton are in breach of regulations, and and we've pulled them in, and now we have yeah. an independent process. It's nothing to do with us. Totally independent. So we have a form of independent regulation. Whilst it's independent, they'll still want to see that the this version, the Premier League's version of independent regulation, has teeth. Because yes, if, exactly. it, if, it, if it doesn't have teeth, the government are going to turn around and say, yeah, we recognise the fact that there's an independent commission, but the independent commission doesn't do what, what it should have done. Well, what does having teeth look like? Does that mean a sporting commission, a sporting sanction, sanction. and we, we become the fall guys? I think it has to because you know sporting sanctions are um, commonly accepted now in the English Football League. Yeah, and, and I think you know if if I was sitting on the DCMS a select committee, I would turn around to the Premier League and say, "Well, if the English Football League can apply yeah. sporting sanctions to its members without fear of losing sporting integrity, what makes the Premier League so special that it can't?" Well, and I think it's much more material with Everton because of where we are than it is with Manchester City because no one's going to strip them of league titles, are they? Really? It's not going to happen. No, it can never no, be retrospective. I mean, you know, that... No, which, but, 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 you know, there's a material chance that if a sporting sanction were applied to Everton, we'd be relegated. 
And that is absolutely material. And, and it's an existential threat to, to the football club, which is something that we're going to talk about in the next episode. Yeah. But that's that's why they've got to resolve this one more quickly than letting City, you know, just sort of let the long grass grow around it, you know. And we all we all know that's going to be a fudge. It's just That's what's going to happen. What are they going to be doing? Kicked out of the league? Yeah, right. Of course they are. It's not going to happen. So, but but Everton's is really material, and and has massive consequences for eight football clubs. Nearly half the Premier League would be affected by what happens to Everton. Well, scary, three, really. Three, three are going to be affected, assuming well, Everton aren't relegated. Okay, stake have a real stake in it. You know, I mean, yeah. this season Brighton and Brentford couldn't give two hoots, nor Aston Villa, nor Liverpool, Chelsea. I mean, Liverpool, you know, they they care because you know. Of the local rivalry, but um, I think it's interesting, um, and I, I think they have to get it done by the by the end of this season somehow. They've got to get to a position of a decision whether that is then extended because of appeals, whether that is extended because of any other intervention. I don't know, but I don't think they can not have started it and, and got very close to a conclusion by by the end of this season. Can I can I can I ask you one more thing? Yeah, one to more, you, just one more. To use a phrase from a a, a previous yeah. life. Um, do you think the club are right to stay absolutely stunned on this and and you know argue that it's like subjudice and therefore we cannot talk about it, or do you think if the club are so um, sure of their case that actually they should be out there saying, well, this is our case? Um, it, that's an incredibly difficult question, uh, but I'll give it my best shot at answering <laughs> it. Um, I, I, um, I don't think personally, it's just a personal opinion. Yeah, I'm not sure they really know and understand what their case is, and I would rather they said nothing because I think there is an inherent arrogance at the very, very top of the football club that means they might not properly, truly understand what it is they've done or what it is they're claiming. And um, if they were to come out, they might, you know, it could be a sort of don't tell him your name, Pike, moment, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because I don't trust them. I don't trust their competence to actually have made a decent case. I don't doubt that they can get the best barristers and pay the best money to argue it but I'm not sure that the argument holds water and would be valid and would be accepted and have precedent that would strengthen it. I don't, I genuinely don't know. So frankly, on this occasion, whilst I'd like to hear a lot more from my football club, it's not theirs, it's our football club, not mine, it's not yours, it's our football club. I'd like to hear them talk more. I'd like to hear them, you know, come out and explain what on earth they were talking about with headlock nonsense. Um, but, but as far as the charges are concerned, the alleged or the charges, uh, of alleged breaches, I'd rather they just shut up because I think they might make it worse if they open their mouth, personally. What about you? That's really interesting because um, obviously having published what I published, you know, um, the piece that I published is on, on, my, yes. on my website and, and, you know, talking about it um, on other podcasts and, that, and now on um, our podcast. Uh, the club have been, like, you know, quite aggressive in saying, you know, our position is totally defensible. We can defend this. You know, we, we are absolutely assured that our position is right and that the Premier League are wrong. 
And I just think if that is the case, if they are, and I, and I accept entirely uh, what you're saying about their judgment, whether or not their judgment is right in terms of their ability to understand what their position is. But if their judgment is right on this and they have such a strong case, I think you should be out there and I think you should be mm. saying, mm. you know, the case is crystal clear. We, we spent this, we spent that, our losses are this, our losses are that, the adjustables are this. Da, 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 da. That puts us in, in a position of X, you know, like I did in, in, in my article. No, and I get, that, it. I get and, it. And then we've got all of these, you know, uh, things which we admit are, you know, sub subject to debate, but nevertheless, you know, we can we we can point to 170 million pound of um uncrystallized, uncrystallized losses. losses yeah yeah and yeah. and if only if you only accept 35 if you only accept 20 percent of those losses or 40 percent of those uncrystallized losses then you know we're, we're in clear water where our case is proven mm. and i actually think that if, if I think it, I mean, I think generally in life, if if you're absolutely convinced of your case, that the, the very best way of going about it is putting your case out there, and you know, put your put your case out there and make your case subject to public scrutiny. Make your mm -hmm. case uh, subject to the scrutiny of your peers, so other football clubs, of the media. Sky, BBC, BT Sport, uh, all the newspapers, and the fan base. One of one of the I'm going to finish on this point, Roger. Yeah. Evertonians will back Everton Football Club, and the employees of Everton Football Club, the directors, and Farhad Mashiri, if they know what they're backing. So if Everton Football Club come out tomorrow and say. This is why we believe we are compliant with the rules and regulations. And here's our case. And it's like, duh, 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 duh. and the case is clear. There won't be an Evertonian in the world who won't back the club in its fight. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. What? My concern is that there's been a deal done behind the scenes, which is a little bit shady and a little bit. You said we said we promised we would. We didn't do this. And if we poke the bear that is the Premier League and try and play hard ball with the Premier League, they'll come back and say, well, actually, last year you were in breach anyway. You know, and, and you did promise to, you know, make 80 million in player trading profits. You've only made 60. So No, but what I'm saying is that the, the, the club's position is that that is evidently not the case. Well, if it's evidently not the case, allow us as fans to help you support the club's position. And the yeah. only way you can do that is by explaining what the position is, explaining what your defence is, explaining, justifying why we think we're not in breach. You do that, people will read it, and the vast majority of fans, if not all, will accept what the club are saying, and we will we will back the club against the Premier League. No, there's no there's no question about that. So why don't we do that? Because because well, firstly, that's not ever, that's not the Everton way, as you know. That is not the Everton way, and certainly not the Everton way under this uh, regime. Uh, and secondly, I go, I'll, I'll refer the honourable gentleman to the comments I made uh, a few moments ago. I don't think they understand their case well enough. I think they kind of think, okay, well, we've got away with that. You know, I've been told off, but I'm going to carry on having a cigarette around the back of the bike sheds and tell 
tell everyone I'm not a smoker, you know? Yeah. I, that's just the way I see it. I could be entirely wrong, but that's what happens. You know, if, if, um, if you don't control the dreaded narrative, people fill the void with speculation and well-intentioned and sometimes malicious speculation. We're trying to, you know, make an informed guess. And it's interesting that we, get, we come with two different conclusions. <laughs> it tells you everything, but, doesn't it? But, really? but even like well-intended conversation like this or well-intended, um, you know, narrative articles written like mine, they could all be made redundant in a second. Of course. If the club just pressed, you know, send and explained its position. Yes, whatever, is, but, whatever, but, but, whatever its position is, is not going to come as a surprise to the Premier League. No, but, you know, we started off this uh, introductory episode of results business, looking at the accounts, and all you've got to do is read the chairman's statement and the CEO's report to realise that there is a modest disconnection with reality and therefore expecting them to come out and tell us the truth of their case that they understand and it's watertight. I think that's for the birds, I'm afraid. Yeah, but we're, we are um, we're reaching the point where somebody has to present their version of the truth, either to the commission or, as I would argue, if your case is so strong, to the public before the commission. They'll present it to the commission. They will not present anything I, to the I, public. I, I, I think you're right, Roger. I think you're right. I think, you're, well, I almost know for certain that you're right. Um, I, I'm just expressing an opinion as to if, yeah. if I was advising them, if I was saying, you know, okay, so what is our strategy now? Well, our strategy should be open books. If we yeah. think our case is so strong, it's open books and that's it. But if you were advising them, they wouldn't have got in this bloody mess in the first place. <laughs> um, well, some of, some of my transfer uh, choices were pretty dodgy. Yeah, but you'd never have appointed Benitez and it wouldn't have cost us another 10 million quid and we wouldn't have had <laughs> no, to endure no, that. No, no, but look, I, I'm, I'm not a football expert, so I'm, I'm probably not the right person to ask on that. But yeah, anyway, there we are. That is the first episode of um, the results business. Uh, I think a couple of things. If you're listening to this on Spotify or if you're listening to this on Apple or any of the other platforms, if you can give us a, a rating, that would be great. If not, well, we look forward to speaking to you uh, next time. You can also, by the way, I'm sure you know, but you can also, uh, what's the word, subscribe so that you end up getting the uh, the podcast sent to you. Uh, directly rather than um, having to go and search for it. So, um, Roger, been great fun. I hope it's been interesting yes, to everybody. And, Thank um, you. And do please subscribe. You can subscribe on Substack. Just give an email address and it tells you because we will, over the course of time, be adding articles, uh, be adding some commentary, financial commentary, maybe a little bit of uh, cultural marketing, salesy type commentary on this, the business of this football club we all know and love. Uh, and uh, do feedback to us directly on Twitter or any other means. Delighted to get your feedback. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you soon. Yeah, we'll probably throw in a few Excel spreadsheets as well. You bet. <laughs> Thanks, Roger. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.